Amen. That was fun. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And when you get there, let's all stand together for the reading of the passage today because it's a long passage. Let's all stand and read Acts chapter 5. I did say when you get there. All right, let's start reading in verse 1, and we are going to read the whole chapter. So Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me, whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Wouldn't you think verse 11 is an understatement? Verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least, that that at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed if they had enough faith. What's it say? How many of you think maybe the healing services today are not the biblical healing that's being spoken of? Okay, we'll address some of that in a minute, Lord willing. Verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Now, remember who the Sadducees are. Got to define it. So as we read this, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the miracles. Okay. And that's why they were sad. You see. Okay. Verse 17 again, then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. Now that angel of the Lord, Lord willing, next week 
we're going to do a study on the angel of the Lord so we can identify who this is. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, the prison, the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Something's growing. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain and the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in, in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood Upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, had them go wait outside, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, so he's not speaking to the apostles. He's speaking to those left behind after the apostles had been removed. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that after they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Lord, what an amazing chapter in your word. And when we look at this whole account, we see that you have established a pattern for the way the church is to behave, who are we who we are to be? 
Father, help us to learn that lesson today well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. My message today is our pattern. Our pattern. Remember, the the book of Acts, as we're studying the book of Acts, the title for our series is The Beginning of Our Story. The Beginning of Our Story. And so we learned some things from this chapter that God wanted to be established in the early church. The first thing is that he wants it to be a, a pure church. He wants us to be a pure church, but he also wants us to be a powerful church. Not only a powerful church, but a, per, but a, a persistent church. And if we're pure and we are powerful, then we will be persecuted. But if we are pure and we're powerful, we remain persistent. When the persecution comes, we know that we can praise him. And that's what this passage is describing to us. So I want to take some time and look at this. So we're not going to spend much time on the Ananias and Sapphira because we looked at that last week. But notice what it says in verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. We make no excuse for this. These people had lied. They had made a commitment. They had sold some property. And they had said, we're going to give it all to the church. Because Barnabas, look at chapter 4 and verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so the Holy Spirit wanted Luke to identify that Barnabas was a special person. And he had gotten noticed for giving it all to the church. And apparently Ananias and Sapphira wanted that same recognition without the same sacrifice. And so they made a commitment and they lied. And they didn't lie to the church. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And God killed them. Now, I know people try and make excuses for the Bible. What kind of a God would do that? Well, let me tell you what kind of a God would do that. A holy God. A holy God that hates sin, who hated sin then and hates it today. He hated it in Ananias and Sapphira, and he hates it in me. Now, how many of you are thankful that we have the Holy Spirit of God in us? And if you're born again, you're, you're washed in the blood of Jesus. You're clothed in his righteousness. And when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And yet, when I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But if I do not confess that sin and forsake that sin, as a believer, God is going to chasten me, not as a stranger, but as a son. And the chastening of God, the Bible says, it's not joyous, it's grievous. And yet, if God chose to kill me because of my sin, even as a believer, he is justified in doing that. God established at the beginning of time what sin would do. It brings death. God established at the beginning of the New Testament church what sin does. It brings death. That has not changed. Amen? That has not changed. Because what does God want? He wants a pure church. And the Apostle Paul wrote about that. He wanted to present the church to Jesus Christ as a chaste virgin. That's pure. The purity of the church is required. God wants a pure church. The church was not only a happy place, 
A place where one could learn of sins forgiven and peace with God. Where people could gather together and sing and share things in common. But it was also a holy place. In a Grace Baptist Church, we need to be a holy people. We need to make sure that that there's no one in Grace Baptist Church behaving in a way that would bring reproach to the name of Christ and to the name of Grace Baptist Church. And when people sin openly, it must be dealt with openly, and that's our entire doctrine of church discipline. We all know the passage. We've seen it in needlepoint on, on, on walls. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Well, that passage is about church discipline. That's the passage. When we are purifying the body, Jesus is with us. Isn't that good? And so, as a church, we need to not be holier than thou. We need to be holy. How many of you know there's a difference? Down through the centuries, the church has been greatly weakened and sadly misrepresented by the coming into its ranks of countless multitudes of those who profess to be Christians but have never been born again. And we see the results of that. Because we have a broader Christian culture, whether it's the music culture or the YouTube culture, the the Facebook culture, we have these people that are talented and they gain a following in Christianity and then they deconstruct How many of you have heard that term? They deconstruct. So like Rhett and Link, the guys that used to work for Campus Crusade for Christ, and now they deny the faith. They're they're atheists. They they deny the faith. But when you look at the doctrinal statements they had made, they, they didn't know any doctrine. They were fun. Their Christianity was fun. And I'm glad you guys get to have fun. I, I just can't believe the work, and they're they're away on their 20th wedding anniversary. Uh, I almost said tie in Denver. <laughs> I'd need to change my sermon if that's what was going on. How many of you, when you think of tie, you think tie in Denver? I'm, that's just that's just the way it is. But anyway, Ty and Diana are away on their on their wedding anniversary, and I'm so glad they make church fun for you guys. There's not a thing in the world wrong with that. But how many of you know it has to be more than fun, right? And so we have these people that deconstruct, these, these Christian singers, that guy that wrote the um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Now he's, Christ, he's kissed Christianity goodbye. Well, it, apparently he was never saved. The Bible says, and I don't know that for sure, but the Bible says they went out from us because they were not of us. And so church, it must be pure. It must be pure morally. And it must be pure doctrinally. And then it must be pure administratively. What do we mean by that? God has established certain things in the church, like the pastor and the deacons, the two offices. It's a, the, the Bible has established that baptism must follow salvation. God has established that. The Bible has established what church membership is. You become a member in the body of Christ when you're born again and the Holy Spirit places you into the body of Christ. You become a member in the local New Testament church through your baptism, which is why we do not baptize babies because you must have a born again church membership. And if you baptize a baby, that baby is not then born again. He's just wet, right? 
And so it's very important. These are things that, that God has established. They're structures that he's established. Then the autonomy of the local church. So Steve Clayton preached at man camp for us. Didn't he do a good job? And by the way, he sent me a picture. He got his gun yesterday, guys. Uh, Todd, he got, what is it that he got? An M1? He got an M1 rifle and a sling. This thing is sweet. And if you're one of the Christians that don't think we ought to have M1 rifles, I love you. But it's so exciting that he got that. But Steve, um, I texted him, and I, he's just so thankful that we did that for him as a church. We got him that gift because of all the help they've been to Grace Baptist Church over all these years. And he stepped in at the last minute and couldn't have done a better job at man camp than what he did. And so I told him that. I said, you've been a blessing to Grace Baptist Church. And he, he texted me back. He's glad that I'm here. And isn't that mutual admiration society? Isn't that kind of the way that works? And so how many of you know that I respect Steve Clayton? But Salina Baptist Temple has no say in Grace Baptist Church. And Grace Baptist Church has no say in Salina Baptist Temple. We can have fellowship, and we do, and, it, and it's wonderful. But that autonomy of the local church, it's vital in, in our administration of the church. That's one way that God keeps it pure. So our church needs to be pure morally. We see that through Ananias and Sapphira. It needs to be pure doctrinally through the writings of the Apostle Paul. And then it needs to be pure administratively. We need to function as a New Testament church regardless of what the outside world says. We, we have a purity that we are to maintain. And when that purity is maintained, then what does God do? He reveals his power. So look at verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, multitudes, so the early church was a growing church. It was a growing church because it was a pure church. Now, there are churches that have grown by being not pure. How many of you, how many of you years ago remember the pub church? How's that doing now? They're all drunk. No, no, I don't know. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm sure there were good people. I shouldn't have said that. I know that people that were wanting to do that loved the Lord, okay? So some of you know the people that were wanting to do it, so that's why I'm crawdadding right now, backtracking what I said. But why, why did that not work? Because that's not God's plan. But there are lots of other places. Man, somebody was telling me about a church they went to, and the whole middle section is recliners. Everything is black, the lights go dim. You guys would be sound asleep. If I did that, I would go to that church, though. By the way, I, that, that'd be a church for me. You know, recliners. If a church has recliners, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Right? Nathaniel, he just voted for that. That's what he's looking for. <laughs> but when you say, come to our church, there's not going to be any hard doctrine here. Come, you are accepted. Come as you are. Stay as you are. Just come. We love you. That's not a biblical message. We love you is a biblical message. Come is a biblical message and be changed by the word of God and by the power of God. That's the biblical message. And so 
this growth in the early church was based on their purity, not their compromise. As a matter of fact, that's not a real good church growth message. Hey, hey, come to my church. But be careful, somebody died last week. And just to demonstrate this, some guys are bringing the snakes in from the back. Come on in, guys. Going to handle our snakes. Man, on eBay the other day, somebody is selling a manual on snake handling for churches. And it's bound in snake skin. (laughs) Patrick, you need to buy me that book, man. No, we're not supposed to tempt God. Amen? We're not supposed to tempt God. And th- but this right here, this church growth method, the world heard about it. And they didn't want to join. And so this particular growth was based on purity. Someone said they were a clean channel through which the power of God could flow. And this is fun. Look at verse 16. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem. So this right here, this is the beginning of the ministry spreading outside of Jerusalem. See, here's what happens. When God does something in Sydney, it starts to affect the surrounding areas. Amen? I know some of you are thinking, can any good thing come out of Piqua? The Georgias. Yeah, she's pointing at, Pam's pointing at Amanda right now. Something good came out of Piqua. Um, it, it starts to affect the surrounding areas. And are you seeing that happen from Grace Baptist Church? Isn't that cool? People are coming from around, not because we're anything special. This is just every good church has this happen. This is the pattern, not just Grace Baptist. I know some of you have been from a church in another state, and people drove from all over that state to go to that church because this is the way that God works. People hear about it, and they're gathered together. So, I like this passage. First Thessalonians 1 says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. This is what God does. He establishes a church, he purifies the church, and then he grows the church. So this is really fun right here. Look at how he grew it, though. So look at verse 13. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. So those are the people that didn't want to join because they they knew that they would be a hypocrite. And God killed the hypocrites, liars. Verse 14. And what's that next word? The second word of verse 14. Everybody, what's that word? Some of you aren't looking at a Bible. I'm going to have to have you excommunicated. I'm going to, the feet of those who took, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. Notice what it says. And believers, not obeyers. Do you see that? And believers were the more added to the church. Huh. See, you've got to be added to the Lord before you can be added to the church. How cool is that? We're not about church growth. We're about growing the body of Christ. 
and that is church growth, I understand. But our goal is not a crowd. Our goal is a crowd that loves the Lord and that believes in the Lord. Isn't that fun? See, this is where I'm so thankful for my commentaries. Because I studied the passage and I look at all the words and I think about it. And then I read some of these commentators. One of them pointed that out to me. Arno Gabeline pointed that out. And I thought, how did I miss that? Added to the Lord. Then, not only, so we, we talked about the purity of the church. We're talking about the power of the church. The, and, and the Holy Spirit power was evident because of the growth of men and women but there's also another kind of power that's being exhibited. Look at what it says in verse 15. Oh, verse 12, I'm sorry. And by the hands of everyone in the church were many signs and wonders wrought. Is that what it says? And by the hands of the pastors. What's it say? How many of you know there are a lot of people that have this confused? This is a really good statement. I wish it was mine. I better read it. The early church, this is from John MacArthur, the early church was not a miracle-working church. It was a church with miracle-working apostles. How many of you, that helps you right there? All these miracles were in the early church. Well, yeah, because they had apostles. Hold your place here. How many of you know where I'm going right now? But somebody tell me, what passage am I going to go to right now? Ephesians 4. Did somebody say it? No? How many had no idea where I was going? Okay. Ephesians 4. Look at verse 11. What's that? You're here to learn. Amen. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. So let, just again to establish the, this order, this structure that I was mentioning under purity, let's look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So there's only one church there's only one doctrine. There's a faith once delivered to the saints. There's a common faith. There's a common salvation. There's only one, and it's all based on Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I marvel that you are so removed from the gospel of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that would pervert the gospel, Paul said. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one right doctrine. And we have it. Are we allowed to say that out loud? Do we have it? Why do we know we have it? Because it's right here. It's not our statement of faith. It's the Bible. All right, so look at verse 11. Talking about Jesus. And he gave some apostles. 
and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he gave some apostles. Here's how we have the apostles. But we don't have any apostles in this room right now. Amen? Right? And then he gave some prophets. What's a prophet? A prophet is one who speaks the word of God before it's written. For the holy, for the word came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. A prophet is one who speaks the word of God before it's written. Well, we don't have prophets anymore. Why? Because it's been written. Not the office isn't necessary anymore. And some evangelists. What's an evangelist? It's a guy that travels from city to city yelling at people. No. An evangelist is a church planter, a missionary. The apostle Paul was an apostle, but he was also an evangelist, traveling, planting churches. All right? And then pastors and teachers. That's one office. The pastor oversees, administrates, but he also teaches. Pastor, teacher. That's the office. Just because you're a teacher, that doesn't mean you're a pastor. And as I'm sure many of you have seen, how many of you have ever known a pastor that wasn't really much of a teacher? I've had preachers say that to me. Well, I'm not much of a teacher. Well, then go sell cars. Because one of the qualifications to be a pastor is apt to teach. Able, apt, ready, be instant in season, out of season, ready to teach, prepared, not a novice. All right? So back to Acts chapter 5. And verse 12, it's a powerful church. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Here's what's fun. Look at what it says in verse 29 of chapter 4. Okay, look at chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord. All right, verse 29 of chapter 4. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto us thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. What is chapter 5 and verse 12? It's an answer to the prayer of chapter 4 and verse 29. Isn't that fun? And again, God is doing the miracles by his apostles in the early church. So the early church did not have miracles. The early church had apostles that did miracles. How many of you can follow that? Okay. Now, by the way, I want to point something out to you in verse 15. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. That beds and couches, that's two different types of, of, of bed. One was the kind the rich people would be on. And one was the kind they'd throw on the floor anywhere because they didn't have any place to live. So rich people and poor people were all coming to be healed by the apostles. That's pretty cool. But notice what it says in the middle of verse 15, that at the least shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. They thought that Peter's shadow would heal them. The Bible never says it did. Really important. The words matter. Amen. The words matter. That's what they thought. Every time an apostle healed, he pointed people to Jesus. His shadow would not point people to Jesus. The message of Christ always accompanied. And we see that, again, 
because that's what they prayed for in verse 30 of chapter 4. By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders might be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Not by our name. Not by Peter's name. Not by John's name. All right? So the early church was an apostolic church. These miracles were not intended to be an ongoing part of the life of the church, but a unique ministry of the apostles. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 12.12 says. So Paul wrote this. Truly... The signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs, and wonders, and mighty deeds. Paul was able to do the signs of an apostle. I cannot do the signs of an apostle. I really wish I could. There's some of you right now that I would love to heal. I would love to take away your pain. I would love to take away your suffering, whether it's depression or whether it's a physical malady. Man, I would absolutely love to be able to remove that from you. I'm not an apostle. I can't do that. And I want you to notice how careful Luke is in recording this. Again, in verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles, by the hands of the apostles, these signs and wonders were all uh, to confirm the message before the Bible was printed. They were only for the beginning of this age. After the gospel of grace and the mystery of the hidden former ages had made it fully known, they disappeared. And here's what people say. The gifts, when when talking about miracles, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. How many of you have heard that verse? That's talking about Israel. That that passage, we looked at it in the Sunday school hour. Brethren, I'm not having to be ignorant. Talking about Israel. That blindness in part has happened to the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. The Gospels, as concerning the Gospel, their enemies... For touching the election, that that they're they're chosen by God. Why? Because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It doesn't have anything to do with you doing miracles. As a matter of fact, if one of those apostles was still alive and God had chosen for that apostle to still be alive, he would be able to do miracles, I would guess. But they're gone. God has not chosen to maintain apostleship in the New Testament church. All right? So... Oh, by the way, this is this is really an important thing. The Bible says, look at Romans. Keep your place in Acts, please. Look at Romans. All right, Romans chapter 1. Look at what it says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The, the Bible says, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews require a sign. These sign gifts were for the Jews, but here's the problem. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2.
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Talking about the Antichrist, verse 7, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, look at what it says, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So people, the Bible says that in Matthew chapter 12, that a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And no sign shall be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The world's been given a sign. The sign is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there will be one who comes with lying signs and wonders. And as a matter of fact, he does lying signs and wonders in the world right now. Laura and I had a missionary stay with us when I was an assistant pastor in Oklahoma. And he was a missionary in the Ivory Coast in Africa. And he had videos of these witch doctors doing amazing miracles. Satanic, demon-possessed miracles. Lying, they're signs and lying wonders. So... In order for Christ to have a pure church, he made sure only the apostles had that power. That's how we know that when someone tries to do it in the future, they're a liar. As a matter of fact, Jesus commends the church at Ephesus. And it says, Thou have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Jesus commends the church at Ephesus for doing that. See, do you see our purity that's required? So it's pure and powerful. But not only is it pure and powerful, but it's persistent. Go to, back to Acts chapter 5. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in prison. So they put him in prison, but God had another plan. Look at what it says in verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. And let me give you a little introduction into next week. This is Jesus. Jesus opened the door. And what did he tell them? But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. They weren't freed to flee. They were freed to preach. That's what our liberty is. Our liberty from sin, it's not so that we can just flee from the world and hide up in, in, in some monastic life, build a compound and hide from the world. No, no, no. Our liberty is given so that we can go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what did they do? They went and preached. Obviously, this nation was ripe for judgment. But Jesus miraculously frees them. He had a plan. He has them preach. And at this point, the Spirit's convicting work begins. 
And when the Holy Spirit starts convicting, the one hearing it either repents or reacts. So, now, I can see some of you are fading. Is it too warm in here? Is that why? Don't fade because this is about, I know, I'm boring, but this is about to get good. This is really cool. What were they persistent in? How did they work? Well, they were persistent even in the face of persecution. So they're let out. They go to the temple and they're preaching. The, the guards go. And here's what's cool. I, I, I think of the passage where Jesus went to his own country. He went to Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue and they bring him the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens to what we would know as Isaiah 61, 1. And it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach glad tidings to the meek, liberty to the captives, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book. If he had kept reading, he would have read, and the day of the vengeance of our God. How many of you are glad he closed the book? And he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. They knew that passage was about the Messiah. So when he said, I am the Messiah, they wanted to kill him. So they took him out to a cliff. They were going to push him off a cliff. And what did he do? Jesus made himself invisible and walked through their midst. When I was preaching through the Gospel of Mark and I preached that passage, one of my commentators said, we don't know that this was a miracle. Yeah, yeah. So here's what Jesus did. Started sneaking around. You didn't get to see it. That's what he did. These commentators can really be silly. They had a massive crowd trying to kill Jesus, and he makes his way out of the crowd, but they forgot who they were after. The reason I bring that up is that's exactly what the angel of the Lord did for these apostles, because the guard, he opened the door. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible also says that the guards were there all night. So somehow he opened the door and walked them past the guards without the guards noticing. That's pretty cool. And he told them to preach. But there are... When preaching is done properly, let me say this. Our preaching must be definitive enough that the world must take note even if they reject our message. So... Often, when we have guests, and I'm preaching, the temptation, so we have a big day, and I know there are going to be lost people there. The temptation is always to make the message as acceptable as possible. That will never change anybody. Our preaching must be definitive enough that the world must take note, even if they reject our message. If the gospel we preach is not convicting enough to make some men angry, is it convicting enough to bring them to salvation? No. And so the message they preached, it was clear and it was convicting. To convicting preaching, there are only three responses. The first is violent hostility. And that's what we see here. Look at what this says. It says in verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach? Look at what it says in verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And then he points 
to their guilt. And look at what it says in verse 33. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. A violent reaction. What happens on college campuses today if you stand up and say there's only men and women? What if you stand up on a college campus today and say it's wrong to kill babies? What happens if you stand up on a college campus out loud and say there's only one way to eternal life? It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. They would kill you if they could. There is a violent reaction. How many of you ever saw that, um, I think it was Dr. Drew or something like that, where Ben Shapiro was on with, with these transvestites or transgenders, whatever the word is. But the transgender G.I. Joe doll, gee, I don't know. That's, so he, he's on, he's on this show. And he's got this man that thinks he's a woman sitting next to him. And Shapiro asks him, what's your DNA? And the guy put his hand around Shapiro's neck, pulled him in, and threatened to kill him on national television. Why? Because he knows he's not a woman. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is an entire portion of the world, and they're generally liberals, that when they're confronted with absolute righteousness, they can only respond violently. In Congress, they're called the squad. Right? These nutty socialist people that would seriously kill you. We're seeing them in these trials for the January 6th trespassers. You don't put people in prison for 20 years for trespassing. They hate what they were trying to do. Now, should they have been doing that? No. But you can see how these people react. Violent reaction. The high priest and his fellow Sadducees were enraged with the apostles for several reasons. First, the apostles had, had denied their doctrine by, complaint, by, by proclaiming the resurrection. So they've invested their whole life that there is no resurrection. Then Jesus got up and walked. That's the first thing. Secondly, they had defied the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin's authority by preaching after they had ordered them to stop. They defied them. And then they demonstrated that they had killed the Messiah. Not just Jesus. They had killed their Messiah. And finally, they had won a large number of converts. They were threatening the Sadducees' domination. And so, the violent reaction. But it's amazing how relevant this is. Remember, I said there are three reactions. Number one, violent hostility. Number two, tolerant indecision. Tolerant indecision. Look at what it says in verse 34. Then stood there up one in, a, in, a, in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. It's interesting. The Pharisees were the ones that were fighting Jesus. It's the Sadducees that are fighting the early church. It's interesting. Gamaliel was the Apostle Paul's teacher. He's the one who trained Paul. And notice what he says. He says, he sends the, the, the men out, the apostles out. Here's what's really fun. This is another account. How does Luke know this? 
How does Luke know what was said when the apostles were sent out? The Holy Spirit told him. This is another evidence of, of inspiration. All right, so look at verse 35. And he said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. And then he gives two illustrations of uprisings that had happened. The first one, there's not really evidence of this one in history. The second one, this is where the zealots, you know, Simon the zealot, the Judas, this zealot, he, that, that, that rebellion was well known. It's well known in history. So he gives two examples and how both of those rebellions were put down and their followers don't exist anymore. So look at what he says in verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they all agreed. So the first response was violent hostility. The second is tolerant indecision. I want you to think of something. Gamaliel would have been a theological conservative. He believed in the prophecies of the Messiah. He believed that. He believed the scriptures. He was as much an antichrist as the Sadducees. He was a theological conservative that hated Jesus Christ. And yet, he was the voice of reason. I want you to plug in here. You know, for the violent hostility, we plugged in the squad, Nina Pinta, Santa Maria Cortez, all these people. Here's who I want you to plug in for the the, the moderate. Mitch McConnell. Um, who was our senator that just got voted out? Our Republican senator. What was his name? Portman. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about these people in, in, in the House and Senate in Columbus and in Washington, D.C., who claim to be Republicans and they claim to be conservatives. But let, let's, let's not get too extreme on this abortion stuff. Let's only kill some of the babies. How many of you know that there's an election coming up on Tuesday? And you have these, well, let's just wait. We don't know how they're going to vote. We don't know what laws will be passed. Why don't we just wait and see? What, wait until killing babies is enshrined in law? Wait until in our public schools they're allowed to counsel your children to have life-altering surgery outside of your assent? Let's wait and see. And Satan says, man, I love you. See, G.K. Chesterton said, a moderate is one who believes in nothing. Oh, let's not be too extreme. How about the 20 congressmen that voted against Jim Jordan because they said Jim Jordan is extreme? What has Jim Jordan ever done in his career that could be identified as extreme. Seriously. And what's fun is Mike Johnson. Is it Johnson? Yeah. He's more conservative than Jim Jordan. I love it. I love it. God gave us a respite, and I think it's because we helped Israel. But this moderation in religion, 
There are people that will not attend Grace Baptist Church because we will call out false teachers and false doctrine. Why? They're moderates. Can't we all just get along? Yeah, we can get along. I'll never forget. I was at a funeral. I believe I was preaching the funeral. And the head of the ministerial association here in Sydney, he said, Jim, we've been missing you at our meetings. And I I was thinking, how do you miss me if I've never been there? And I said, yeah, I don't participate in that. He said, why not? And so I quoted, let's, let's just look at the verses. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 16. Sorry, it's Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Quoted this a minute ago. Galatians 1 and verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But then we're given some instruction. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. What does it say? Let, let, let the doctrine be accursed or let him be accursed? What's it say? As we said before. So now I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So I quoted that passage to him. Go to Romans chapter 16. Look at verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren... Mark them which cause divisions and offenses, and that's where the modern Christian stops. Don't cause divisions or offenses. But you have to read the rest of the verse. Contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So I quoted those passages to him, and I said, you have pastors from the apostolic church that are there who don't believe in the Godhead Trinity. You have people there who don't believe in the deity of Christ or the virgin birth. You have people who participate in the ministerial association who don't believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. Those are all false doctrines. And the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to mark them and avoid them, not join in association with them. Now, how many of you think that made him happy? He started yelling at me in the funeral home. And I said, brother, where's the love? And he said, I know those verses, but I also know that Jesus prayed that we would all be one. I said, man, I love that verse, but you need to finish it. He said, it's John 17. I would that they all be one as I and my Father are one. How many of you know that that God the Father and God the Son, they don't disagree. They don't disagree on the gospel. They don't disagree on the deity of Christ. They don't disagree on the virgin birth. They don't disagree on the Godhead Trinity. They agree with all of those. And if you will agree with that, then I'll agree with you. See, we live in a time where we have all of these moderates. Is that really a point of separation? Is that really something that we need to disfellowship over? Yes. 
If you want to talk to me about music or haircuts or pants on women or open-toed shoes or wireframe glasses or denim or what all the other stuff I've heard preached that we separate over, I'm with you. I don't care about your music. I don't care if you have recliners in your auditorium. I don't care if you wear a tie or not. Well, I do if you're up here on the platform, guys. Don't just. But as far as your other churches, I don't care. It's none of my business what they do in the other churches. But I can promise you this. I care what you teach about the gospel, about the deity of Christ, about the virgin birth, about the return of Christ, about the rapture of the church. I care about those things. And we are not moderate. We're just not. And so, when preaching, when confronted, the first reaction is violent hostility. The second is tolerant indecision. Listen to this. While Gamaliel's counsel may seem wise to the Sanhedrin, the notion that whatever succeeds has God's blessing is false. Joel Osteen has 40,000 people in his church. Andy Stanley has 40,000 people in his church. Just because something is successful doesn't mean that it has the blessing of God on it because Satan can bless as well. While Gamaliel's counsel may seem wise, cults and false religions in our day have millions of followers. Let me step back. I'm not saying that Joel Osteen is satanic and I'm not saying that Andy Stanley is satanic. What I'm saying is getting a crowd does not demonstrate the power of God. I want you to think about this. Here's Gamaliel. He's rejecting Christ. He ended up writing something that's produced in the Mishnah, the Jewish law, that's to be read in the synagogues against Christians. So supposedly he was a Bible believer. But what more evidence did he need to convince him beyond the empty tomb of Jesus and the miracles performed by the apostles? Because the specific miracles of Jesus and the specific miracles of the apostles are those prophesied in the Old Testament that would demonstrate the power of God. Gamaliel was a pragmatist. And pragmatism is a poor substitute for good theology. Such lethargy on his part is not commendable in light of what he knew of the Scripture and what he knew of the work of Jesus and the power of the apostles who had performed those miracles in his name. And then to demonstrate, to demonstrate what this indifference does, he was indifferent to the apostles. He was also indifferent to them being beaten. A lot of Republicans don't care that there are people suffering in prison for trespassing. They don't care. They don't care. Why? They're moderates. They're squishy. Pox on all their houses. What's the last response? Saving? Acceptance. Go back to Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. See, the early church understood the pattern for effective evangelism. It's, it's purity. It's the power of God. It's persistence in the face of opposition. It can result in persecution. But regardless, we are full of praise. See, we are not angry warriors. Amen? We're joyful warriors. 
We have the joy of the Lord. And remember from our study of Philippians, joy is that deep and abiding assurance that regardless of the circumstances in life, all is well between the believer and his Lord. How do we maintain a pure church and a happy church? Well, we make sure that we agree with the Bible doctrinally. We stop schism and dissent. We make sure that we are all speaking. I would that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We have one direction doctrinally, and that is set through the word of God under the authority of the pastor. But if the pastor begins teaching things that are doctrinally incorrect, then God has provided the church a correction for that. It's the godly men in the church who come together and make sure that the church stays right doctrinally. And that's why all of those passages begin where we submit one to another. I'm the pastor. My job is to teach and preach, to set the doctrinal direction for the church. But it's your job to make sure that my direction is biblical. This is no dictatorship. Amen? So, what do we do? We make sure that we're pure morally. We make sure that we're pure doctrinally. We make sure that we're pure administratively. But we understand that our preaching has to be harsh enough to bring conviction, but winsome enough to draw people to Christ. And then, we just have to recognize that when the truth is preached, there are only three reactions— Violent hostility, this tolerant indifference, yeah, whatever, or believing acceptance. Remember in Acts chapter 17 where Paul, he goes to Thessalonica, and as his manner was, he went in and reasoned from them, went to the synagogue and reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And what does he do? Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and died for our sins and risen from the dead. That, That was his message, his manner, his method, and his message. What was the response? The Bible says some believed. Some were grieved, and some deceived. That's in Acts chapter 17. It's the same thing. Chesterton said that if you confront a liar, he will at first evade. When he can no longer evade, he will attack. When you, when these crazy people, when we, when we confront them with the truth of Scripture, of creation, of genetics, of salvation, when we confront them with that, It enrages them. Why? Because they're heathen. Why do the heathen rage? You know what? They're not really our problem. The problem is our weak defenders. That's the problem. So what do we need to do? Whether it's politically or in the church, we speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. That is is our pattern. Amen? Purity, power, persistence, persecution, and then praise. God, thank you that we get to suffer for you. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for Acts chapter 5. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, that today is the day of their salvation.